I love organizational culture. I'm a big culture nerd. Um, everybody's got a culture, whether they think so or not. And a lot of times your culture isn't what you think it is. And you know, as well as anybody, how quickly that can change. It comes from the top, but you hire the wrong person or the wrong people. And pretty soon things change as long as you tolerate it. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Today is the last of the dog days of August, which means it's time for our monthly roundup of HR news. And this month, I'm joined by my buddy, Steve Pegler. Steve is Deputy Executive Director and Head of HR and Organizational Development for the Housing Authority of Travis County, Texas. He also assists employers across the state through his consulting practice, HR Strategies of Texas. Steve has over 30 years of experience in HR management and consulting. And while he has all sorts of certifications and has served on too many nonprofit boards to count, and he's an amazing mentor to emerging professionals. His most notable resume item is that he was my third guest on this podcast way back in 2021. Welcome back to Good Morning HR, Steve. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be back. Um, And I just now learned that I was your third guest. So that's pretty cool. You know, that was a long time ago, but not really. Yeah, but we've made Um, a lot of improvements since then. Yeah, you guys are really high tech now. I tell you what. Uh, but very happy to be back. Well, thanks for being here. Yeah. And yeah, you've had a lot change since then. Yeah, you were in Fort Worth <laughs> when we did that, and now you're living down in Austin. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, and I think it's uh, somebody's got to live in Austin. So I'm glad it's you and not me. So, well, we're loving it. Yeah. So, yes, Good. great place. Fort Worth was great too, you know. Well, Fort Worth um, and Austin are a lot alike. It's, I always say Austin's like, or Fort Worth is like Austin, except for the traffic. And, uh, and you well, get rid it's of the getting traffic worse up there, yeah, too. It getting is. getting worse. Yeah. Thank God yeah. for 130. I was in San Antonio yeah. for a hub event this past week and took the 130 loop around. And that's, uh, that's the way to go if you're in, going through Central Texas, guys. It, 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 it'll save you some time, for sure. So yep. speaking of Texas, and we're here in the Fifth Circuit, let's start with a surprising decision from the Fifth Circuit only because I didn't know there was a precedent. I, you know, I assumed that this decision was already there. Dallas County, which is should surprise nobody that they've got unique issues over there, um, they had sex, a sex-based staffing policy for their, their county jailers. And basically, men could take the full weekends off both days but women could only, at a maximum, take one weekend day off. And I'm sure it's a, had it was a staffing issue, and they needed female jailers for their female inmates, and they probably don't have nearly as many female jailers as they as they would like. And it's probably a very difficult job to recruit for to start with. But so that was their policy. Men can get the full weekends off, but women only get one weekend day off, which shocks me that they had that policy because I would have thought, on its face, that's a Title VII violation. But apparently, the Fifth Circuit here in you know Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, where the 
was the one circuit in the in the country that had a different standard, and they'd only focused on the ultimate employment decision, like hiring, retention, those kind of things, but not the terms and conditions of employment, like scheduling. And so the court reversed that uh, and and took it back to what the rest of the country did, and what I've always assumed was the the law here is is you just can't treat people different based on on their sex, right. I'm just, I was just, I was shocked that it even existed. I was really surprised to read that too. And actually that was the first time I've heard the term ultimate employment decision, you know, and, and I mean, it makes sense what they're referring to, but um, you know, you get into these kind of ancillary areas like scheduling, you know, which this was a scheduling issue or a scheduling right. practice, but it was, it was really interesting to, to, learned that there was a difference there for for this circuit. Well, and it kind of alarms me because I've it suggests that I've kind of been telling clients wrong on some of these issues that have come up over the last 20 years. But in reality, the decision makes sense, right? Um, yeah. You know, the uh, and even if you don't look at just the, the strict legal issue, I mean, you know, Title VII compliance is one thing, you know, legally to stay out of court and all that, but just attracting and retaining employees. I can only imagine, you know, maybe it was harder for Dallas County to, to recruit female jailers because they would tell them you're only going to get, you know, you never, you're never going to get a full weekend off. Well, and you kind of wonder how widespread that information was. That might have been, not have been something that they even learned about until they got in the door. Right. And we're employed. And then, you know, obviously word spread, but, uh, um, you know, that's, yeah, exactly. And retention, I mean, it's all about, you know, we all work hard enough to find the best people and, and we got to retain them. And that's not a good practice. So, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad to see that it was addressed and clarified. And now we're kind of on the same page as the rest of the country. But uh, very interesting to me, too. Totally yeah. agree. And I thought it was interesting to have a Title VII issue come up about sex, male Mm -hmm. and female, because, you know, so much of the Title VII stuff we've heard is, you know, more around DEI stuff and what's legal or illegal there. The idea, you know, with affirmative, you know, we talked last month on, on the news episode about the affirmative action decision regarding college admissions and what that might mean for HR. We've all, you know, age, race, sex, or, you know, all, all that stuff. But uh, to, to see a decision, uh, you know, even something come into question just around straight sex, not even gender differences, just, you know, straight sex mm-hmm. differences. It feels like we're in the 1990s to have a, a decision come out that way. Yeah, it seems like it's, you know, we've been there, done that, or should have been there and done that, you know. Um, but the bottom line recommendations, and of course, neither one of us are legally attorneys. Um, oh, for sure. Uh, <laughs> I kept my soul. Yeah. yeah um, you know, the recommendation is we got to keep doing the anti-discrimination training. Right. So, you know, which I can help you with, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, call, uh, call Steve. Yeah. So, you know, it's important to keep doing that. And especially now. And of course, and I think we've had this conversation. I've had it with a lot of other folks. I I don't like the, the term anti-discrimination training nearly as much as I like the idea of uh, equitable treatment. And, uh, you know, and just saying we're going to treat everybody 
fairly and, and samely regardless of it rather than then framing it in the negative. I think that's one of the problems that the, and we're going to talk about it. The so-called woke movement has is that they're focusing too much on the anti and not enough on the, you know, the, you know, the idea that everybody deserves, uh, you know, treatment and we just need to build systems around to ensure that everybody gets treated fairly. But I'm sure you and I are going to, uh, stumble over each other's toes here in a little bit on some of that. So, but speaking of Title VII and, and DEI stuff, uh, Starbucks got sued by this time. Not you know they're getting it from the left and the right. Those poor guys at Starbucks, uh, you know, it's you know it's the old uh, uh, norm line from Cheers. It's a dog eat dog world, and I've got milk bone underpants because mm-hmm. they've got the unions on one side beating them up, and you know painting them as these arch conservative villains. And then they've got the conservatives on the other side beating them up because they're too woke. So they got sued by a conservative group that went out and they bought 50, this conservative group bought 56 shares of Starbucks stock, which by the way, at today's current price is about $5,300 worth of shares. And then, you know, set themselves up as shareholders and sued Starbucks for anti-white discrimination policies, saying that those policies are going to hurt, sharp, put Starbucks at risk for Title VII cases and hurt Starbucks' uh, share price, and uh, saying especially Starbucks' efforts to increase the number of non-white uh, uh, employees that they had, the amount of money they were setting aside to spend to recruit. They weren't setting quotas for the number of people they're going to hire, but uh, you know, set, you know, money, money they're going to spend to recruit minority uh, and uh, spend with minority owned media companies and um, then increasing spending on diverse suppliers. So, you know, they're doing what Starbucks is doing, what most companies are already doing. Right. I mean, for years we've known we can't do quality. We can't do um, quotas. And so if you've got an affirmative action plan, what are you doing? And you're, you're falling short. You're going out there and reaching out to special interest groups and and trying to recruit and you know the Black Chamber of Commerce or this networking group or whatever to get a, a diverse population. But they got sued uh, by these conservative groups and the courts. The court didn't make any decision based on the the merits of the case, except that they didn't have standing. They didn't fairly. They didn't have enough stock to say that they could really represent a, yeah. a shareholder group. Yeah. But are you surprised? By any of this? Well, I mean, I think Starbucks is a, that's a unique case. And, and I totally understand the, what you're saying about they're getting hit from all sides. Um, not every organization is, you know, and the whole DEI world has really changed fast. I mean, a couple, just a couple of years ago, you know, it was all the rage. There was lots of jobs out there for these, you know, DEI directors and, everybody else within a function like that getting hired. And it's really, it's like they turned off the faucet, you know, and there's a definitely a shift there, you know, from a strategic point of view, I don't really understand the big pushback against it overall. I think it's, um, you know, I think it's a little, little more harmless than a lot of people think, you know, it's not something that really we wouldn't have been doing anyway in a different form or shouldn't have been doing, should have been doing actually. But, you know, the world's changing too. And living in Austin now, 
after three years, didn't have to be here this long to tell, but it's a different sort of, you know, it's very youth oriented here. Um, and, and this is a, these, these concerns are real when it comes to social issues, you know, and everything that falls under DEI and, you know, you got younger people that this is a huge deal to. I see it every day. I've got clients that I work with that, you know, this, this comes up, it's real. And, um, you know, us old guys, we may not understand it like we think we do. Um, but this is, it's embedded and ingrained now. Um, you know, I don't think, uh, I don't really think the conservatives won the culture war. I really don't. And, probably won't. You know, this this kind of thing is going to um, stick around. Now, there'll be a lot of, you know, crazy activity surrounding it. Um, and right now, there's, there's a backlash against DEI, clearly. But there's a reality there that I don't think we could ignore, you know, especially when it comes to like gender identity, some of these social, other social issues. Um, you know, and, and you talk to younger people now, and it's, you know, they have a different perspective on the world. Right. And I think that's totally right. I think that's, um, and if you want to recruit, whether it's an engineer or a barista or whatever, you know, under the age of 40, you're going to have to have a certain kind of culture. But I, I also think that the, some employers have like after George Floyd's murder, and he was murdered listeners. You can stop listening. If you don't agree, that's fine. It doesn't hurt my feelings, but, uh, you know, after that, or, um, a lot of the, the, the social unrest from 2020 and all of that, a lot of employers swung, uh, overreacted, uh, performatively. And I think that mm-hmm. was, I think a lot of it was just cynical. Uh, and that's a good on, description. Yeah. That's a good description. It was a, it was a reaction. Yeah. And, and they, uh, and rather than say, okay, let's take a moment and look at our, our, what our systems, what our processes, uh, how are we getting the outcomes we, we should, you know, given the workforce we're trying to recruit, given the customers that we serve, are we getting the outcomes that, that we really need to be successful? Okay. Let's tweak those systems to see how we can do that. Let's make a change. Mm-hmm. test it and see what happens. Plan, do, check, act. I mean, the thing we've been doing for, you know, a hundred years. Yeah. And then, and they, but rather than do that, they ran out and did a lot of performative stuff. They hired a lot of DEI consultants and, and a lot of people who only got the job. I mean, I've met a number of them at conferences and I can tell you a lot of those folks that were DEI experts, it was the amount of melanin in their skin was their own only qualification. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I thought that was, that was as cynical as anything else out there. And so a lot of those jobs are going white because they shouldn't be, unless you've got a tragically bad organization, they shouldn't be a separate position. They should be part, they should be incorporated into your management from the ground up. That should be part of HR. It should be part of your leadership and how, right. and changing the culture that way. And so I think a lot of those folks are losing their jobs because people are realizing this isn't how we get the change we really need. Yeah. And, you know, what you said a moment ago about, you know, the plan, do, check, act, they scaled it up as a function so fast that, yeah, you could have somebody coming in with all the hiring that was going on and throwing ideas out there for metrics and things to measure that really may not have been appropriate 
that anybody understood that were not, maybe they weren't communicated. And so it's like, you know, the, the corporate world, if they don't see a return on it right away or in a couple of years, you know, it, they're not going to invest in it. And so unfortunately, I think a lot of companies saw it as a, you know, we're not, this isn't benefiting us that we can tell. And maybe that a lot of that is because you didn't set the right metrics. You didn't set, you, you didn't, you know, plan, do, check, act, et cetera, um, that we would have done in other situations. So, you know, I, I don't have the solution to this, um, but I don't think it's going away. Um, you know, it's going to evolve. But yeah, there's a backlash, there's fewer jobs, but I think as a function and as a concept, it's going to be kind of embedded. Yeah, and I think you're right. And I hope that more and more it just becomes how we do business. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. regardless. And, you know, someday we're not going to need, you know, knock on wood. And, and certainly Sandra Day O'Connor thought by now the affirmative action would be, you know, be, would have been gone anyway. But the we're not going to need even on the vendor side, on the you know procurement side, set aside programs and all that. Well, but until we get there, until mm-hmm. you can legitimately say that, hey, our system really does identify and develop the best people that we can, you know, regardless of their background and all of that. You know, there needs to be attention. We 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 need to measure the metrics and see if we're if we're getting what we want. And that's a it's yeah. a comp- and you can talk about all the social justice, but it's really a business imperative. I mean, if you want your company to be successful in 30 years and you want leadership that's got experience in your organization has matured and all that, they're going to have to be diverse. Texas now is a, a minority majority state. And yeah. if, if, if you're seen as a company for old white guys, well, you're going to be in trouble in a few decades. Well, and there's a lot of them out there still. And you're right. You're absolutely right. And, I, you know, and I know that in your organization, you've always kind of been about this. And so, you know, if you, and that's another different topic for maybe a different podcast, but, you know, hiring to your culture. Um, I've had, I've always kind of had a problem with that. And, you know, you end up with the organization of a bunch of old white guys and you'll find, like you said, you really can't compete. You don't have the bandwidth in a lot of different areas. So I've always been a believer that, you know, diversity, and that can mean so many things, um, you know, was critical. And so um, I'm on the same page with you. I get it. And, you know, and I, I'm real big on hiring to culture when the, when the culture is intentional. I think, right. I think there are a lot of companies that have cultures and they're cultures that happen to have worked for them for a long time, but it's just something that kind of grew up and uh, it was incidental maybe even to their success. It wasn't the reason for their success, but then they, they see that, you know, well, we need to hold on to this, whatever this is. And we need to keep recruiting from the same places we recruited. We need to make sure all our engineers are, are Aggies or whatever it is. And, and that doesn't serve them, you know, but if you've got an intentional culture, you've got values that either you truly aspire to and you're willing to hire, manage, and ultimately fire employees for, for short, you know, for not living up to those values or, and, and, and not agreeing to them, then I think you're doing the right thing. But if your values are, you know, our thing, you know, we want, we want people who 
like to go fishing with us on Saturdays. Well, you're really limiting your, your group of potential employees. And I think, you know, with this younger generation, I was at a business meeting not long ago where, uh, it was a conference and the conference organizer stood up before lunch and, uh, and blessed the meal. And I don't have any problem with saying, you know, somebody saying a blessing over a meal, but it was a, it was a blessing from a very specific, you know, religious point of view. And I, and my first thought was, this is a pretty large organization and there are no doubt people here who just are realizing this isn't the culture that I would want to work in, uh, because it doesn't fit them. And so I think we need to, uh, you know, we can pick our value or pick our fights and you can have traditional Judeo Christian values or whatever you want to call without calling them that. And, and without, you know, you, you know, if it's, you know, treat people fairly, if it's, uh, you know, act with compassion and respect, which is one of our values, you can do all of those things, but you, 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 it's gotta be in a way that people can approach it and, and, and embrace the value from their own worldview. Yeah. And, you know, and that gets into the topic of religious, potential religious discrimination in the workplace. And, you know, we're protected as well for freedom of no religion. Right. Um, You know, and that's just as critical. And I say that as as the husband of a a Christian minister. So, you know, I mean, that's just the the reality. And, you know, but as far as culture and, and again, different topic, maybe for a couple of podcasts, but, you know, you've got the you can say all the right things and you can you can publish all the right things, but then, you know, there's still, there, there's sort of the hidden attributes of your culture that are implied. And so, you know, I love organizational culture. I'm a big culture nerd. Um, everybody's got a culture whether they, they think so or not. Right. And a lot of times your culture isn't what you think it is. And you know, as well as anybody, how quickly that can change. It comes from the top, but you hire the wrong person or the wrong people. And pretty soon things change as long as you tolerate it. Right. And, and that's what it's, it's, it goes back to the, uh, um, Oh heck, I can't remember his name. I hate that. Um, but it, you know, that your, your culture is defined by the worst behavior tolerated. Yeah. And that's what your values, I mean, you know, you're, you you have a culture, you also have value, you have organizational values, whether you've written them down Mm -hmm. or not, you know, there are certain behaviors that get people awarded, uh, and, you know, and certain things that, that, that we don't as an organization value. And let's take a quick break. Good morning. HR is brought to you by imperative premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're in North Texas, I want to make sure that you're aware of Fort Worth HR's Strategic Mindset Conference on September 15th. This conference is good for six hours of recertification credit, and if you're an SBHR, these are those ever-elusive business credits. The topics are wide-ranging. Technology, business strategy, workforce analytics, finance, it's all there. You can get more information and register for the Fort Worth HR Strategic Mindset Conference at fwhr.com. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for three quarters of a recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 111 and enter the keyword PEGLAR. That's P-E-G-L-A-R. 
And now back to my conversation with Steve Pegler. While we're talking about religion, let's get into the the most you know contentious social issue out there: abortion. There was a study by Glassdoor and Indeed, and the the top line finding in the headlines everywhere that I saw re- saw it referenced was that employers who uh, post the Dobbs you know, versus Jackson decision. Uh, that overturned Roe v. Wade, employers who promoted in their job postings that they were, uh, you know, that they had benefit abortion-related benefits for employees got 8% more clicks on their job postings. And I think we can, you know, the, the biggest mistake a lot of people make in marketing is is counting clicks as anything of value versus actual, you know, conversions and people buying your product. And I think that may be a part of the problem here too, because there's a lot of people probably were just like, what are these folks doing? And they were clicking through to see what happened. So, you know, are you, are you, are you seeing much in that way and down in Austin? Well, you know, not necessarily, but this falls back under the umbrella you know, of, of DEI, you know, the, the basic function in that, well, it sort of does, but, you know, it's, it's, we're getting pol- potentially political here. I think the big takeaway from this is, you know, again, you know, here we are, how many decades later talking about this? It's never really been settled, um, you know, and people are, uh, you know, they grasp onto one side or the other here. And, you know, I think when an employer indicates, you know, they're going to cover this kind of benefit or, or, or other politically charged benefits, employee benefits, um, you know, they get the attention of people that may appreciate their culture or not, because it reveals a lot, clearly. And, um, you know, it sends a signal you know, how, however effective or sought after that benefit really is. Um, you know, again, I'll use the example of people I've encountered in Austin, you know, younger people, you know, tech oriented tech firm employees, that kind of thing. They pay attention to this stuff. They really, this is a real thing. Now, you know, you mentioned some, some statistics there, Uh, you know, it may not be a great thing even for the employer that, advertises this uh, or, you know, the ideas out there that their culture looks like this. But, I, you know, I don't know enough to speak to that, but I will tell you, this is the kind of issue that there are, there are people that really care about it that are, you know, sought after in the marketplace. So you got to pay attention to this as an employer. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think, but it goes, I think it goes back to a lot of the social justice progressive stuff. I think a lot of it is kind of cynical on a lot of employers' parts. You know, they saw the Dobbs decision and so they thought it'd be a great recruiting tool because it's one thing to have that policy. It's another thing to to put it on the, you know, prominently in your job postings to the point that people click through to it so they see it right away. So it's not that we're looking for an excellent engineer. It's, you know, hey, we've got, you know, we believe in women's reproductive freedom. Those are, you know, that just comes across kind of icky to me. Yeah. Because it seems performative. Yeah. And, you know, and maybe it helped them, maybe it didn't. But the other thing that the, the Indeed Glassdoor survey said was that 
employee satisfaction with management went down in those organizations after that stuff happened. And so, and I don't think that means ma- the majority of those employees that, you know, if, if, if satisfaction went down, those less satisfied employees doesn't mean that they were necessary pro-life or anti-abortion. But I think people have a sense when their companies are doing things for cynical reasons. Yeah. You know, and that could be it. It could be something that there's, you know, there's a correlation there, but it's not the causation. You know, it could be anything that's causing that. So, you know, we'd have to delve into that a little more closely to tell. I mean, it may be, um, you know, the, the quiet quitting. I mean, who mm-hmm. knows? All right. So, um, but, but I take your point. I see what you're saying. And yeah, I agree. Um, you know, and I'm personally in support of a lot of this stuff, but it's like the, you know, I think a lot of it can be performative. And I think it, it just really makes me wonder who's advising the people to do this. Not that I necessarily disagree with, with the content, but it's, you know, is that the message you're intending to send? Goes back to the intentional culture. Or is that something that, I don't know. I don't know. The, the origin is going to be different for everybody and the issues going to be are going to vary. But it kind of makes you wonder why the decision was made to make it more performative. And this goes on both sides, not just liberal. Conservative oh, yeah, I too. agree, too. Yeah, you see yeah. it. Yeah. You, uh, you know, sure. Uh, yeah, you see plenty of America job postings too, especially in West yes. Texas and those kinds of right. things. And sure, and, sure. You know, I uh, and I think often that stuff. Who do we ask to do the job postings in a lot of these organizations? Our young interns or our, our youngest recruiters, mm-hmm. and we give them, yeah. "Hey, here, uh, go post this job." And so there's, you know, a lot of times there's no executive decision making in, in in a lot of this really public stuff. You know, whoever. You know, you've got an intern managing your company's social media and you've got some, you know, you've got a young recruiter doing your job postings and, and things happen. And when mm-hmm. people see them, their gut, gut reaction is often, oh, that's a clever idea. And they're not thinking through, you know, and I think you've got to look at who are we trying to recruit? Is this the best way to get them? But also who is our customer and what is this going to, you know, what's our broadcast? I mean, it's one thing to have, and I, I would support any employer that had reproductive rights as, you know, uh, yeah. as a priority in their benefits package. I think that's great. You know, it's definitely their decision to do that. But uh, again, elevating that up beyond, uh, you know, uh, too high suggests to me somebody, you know, just like you see a lot of stupid job description postings, job postings that, uh are really narrow minded and, and really make it look like this organization is from, you know, 1950s madman. Uh, and you know, you know, that's not what, you know, their senior HR person wasn't involved in making that decision. That was some lower level person. And then the company has to do the cleanup afterwards. Right. Yeah. And, and it could, you know, I'm absolutely right. It might be a young intern doing it. It might be an external consultant that, you know, tells the CEO, Hey, look, if you want to get on the map with these, with this younger group of very desirable professionals, here's what you got to do. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, the CEO, it comes from the top too. So, you know, there's all kinds of ways, but it just makes me wonder, you know, if we're getting away from the main content of the job, you know, that's, you know, but, but then again, you know, relating to everything else we've been talking to, I think these days people really want to know, you know, what's this organization about? Why are they, you know, 
I'm not going to go so far as to say which side are they on, but probably not too far away from that for some people. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. And especially young people. I, mm-hmm. I mean, I think uh, they want to spend, you know, to the extent that they even want to spend any time at work, they want to spend that time in an organization that they feel lines up with their values. And, and I think we all do. Yeah. But, you know, we haven't we been saying for years, keep it job related. Right. You know, everything, you know, keep it job related. The interview, the, the, the documentation, disciplinary action, termination, keep it job related. And I, I still agree with that. Right. We have to. So, yeah. And while we're still talking about job seekers, Illinois is the latest law, uh, state to pass a pay transparency law. Uh, and, and they have to have in the, uh, job posting, they have to include a pay scale and it's gotta be a good faith one. Unlike some of the other (laughs) ones where you could say anything between $0 and $10 million is our pay scale. It's gotta be good faith and it's gotta describe the benefits in the job posting, which is interesting, but they did say you can just refer them all to a link on your generic website that, that, you know, details it, for, you know, for this job, you know, for this, this, uh, this job category, here's what the pay range is and here's what your benefits are. But transparency generally still seems to be catching on yeah. more and more. What's your, what's your take on, on the, on the real value of, of, of pay transparency, especially when it comes to job postings? Well, you know, and, and going off of what you just mentioned, you know, I don't know what good faith means. Um, you know, there have been other tra- pay transparency requirements and laws that have come along that I don't think really got that detailed. So yeah, you'd think there's a lot of wiggle room for an employer. You know, I'm going to publish a range and it's going to be pretty wide. Now, personally, I'm kind of, I'm in support of it because there's so much time wasted in the recruiting process. You know, how many interviews are you going to go through before you really start talking about what the level of compensation is going to be, you know, reasonably? And because I think job seekers um, have, you know, they've got uh, plenty of good reasons to know because they're otherwise going to waste their time. I think it's happened to everybody. Um, You know, I got through this interview process and I found out they're not going to pay me what I need, you know, and everybody's got a everybody's got a number they need. But it goes for employers, too. It's like, do you really want to go through this exercise, commit all these resources and then find out somebody's going to you know, turn your job down because you're not paying enough? So I don't see a doubt. I don't see a real downside for employers. I don't you know, as far as legislating it, that you're required to do it. It's kind of a different issue, um, you know, and I don't know how you guys do things at Imperative, but um, I think it's. On balance, I think it's a good thing. How we got there, I don't think it needed to go the way it did. So hopefully I made sense with that comment. No, I think you're right. And I think the the motivation is behind a lot of the pay transparency is the idea that some people, and I'm not convinced that it's as I think it's overstated, but some people don't negotiate as well. You know, especially they say women don't are, are less likely to negotiate salary, and so they don't know what they're coming in against. And I, I find I have a hard time believing that to be accurate for, especially for most professionals who've spent any time in their job already. 
but of course, you know, if your past salary is, is really predicting your future salary, then, you know, then you, if you start out in a deficit. And so at least you know where to start your negotiation or what the negotiation range is. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, in a lot of states, uh, Texas, not one, but a lot of states have made it illegal to inqu- even inquire into employer, into past employment wages, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I also think is a mistake because now, the, you know, if I'm, especially if you've got an executive or senior management position, you're negotiating salary on and they say, or it's a sales position. And he says, well, look, you know, just to break even from what I've, you know, what I was, I'm making last year at, at this current company, I, you know, I've got to have 175,000 a year, but then the employer can't ask for any verification of that. So, you know, it doesn't leave you, you know, and so you, you know, you have to call this bluff or not. And everybody says, often you hear the argument, well, you just know what the job is worth. So you just pay that. Well, you know what the job is worth with an average employee? You know what the job is worth with an excellent employee? And sometimes, especially in a sales role or something else, income is one of the few things that really can predict how valuable and at least another organization benchmarked this person as from their experience with them. Yeah, you know, and, and something like a situation like that, I mean, sometimes the employer just has to take a shot and see if it works. If it doesn't work, you know, hopefully your HR processes are good enough to where you can you can get out of the situation later. But, you know, sometimes you know, I kind of tend to agree with, well, you, you have an idea of what the job's worth with somebody that's a really good performer. You have an idea, especially with a sales job, of what the compensation could be for somebody like that. And if you're truthful, which you will be in an in a interview, you know, it's all on the table and it's all going to be um, understood. And so, you know, it's, it, I, you know, I think it's, again, I'll go back to saying on balance, I think it's a good thing that this is happening. I don't, I wish we didn't have to legislate it, but I think it could be an advantage, not just for job seekers, but for employers. Oh yeah. Just Cause you kiss a lot, lot of pigs. Ways. Yeah. You can kiss a lot of pigs yeah. in the employment side, looking at, you know, all oh, this candidate looks great and all this. But then they come in and they're like, I just, I couldn't afford to take this job. I'm sorry. I love your company and everything else, but I'm not taking a 10% pay cut to come work here. Right. Uh, or, and you know, and you, you mentioned imperative. And when we post a job, most of my, especially my analyst roles, it's, they're all based on competencies. And so, and nobody comes into this job with competencies for, you know, to do background checks and the kinds of work we do. And so everybody, when we post a job, we post, this is what you're coming in at. This is exactly what we're going to find. And then we explain, you know, as you gain competencies, even if it's not one you use, once you're certified as competent and cross-trained, we're going to pay, if, uh, you know, so it just goes up incrementally. That way, we know we've got a bench here that we can move people around as we need to and and keep people, you know, keep them busy and, and meet our customers' expectations. And so basically in our organization, everybody pretty much knows what everybody else makes just because they know what their competencies are. Well, you know, and you're doing it right. And, you know, you're doing, you're sort of ahead of just about everybody else, because unfortunately, most organizations don't do that. They don't have the resources to commit to tracking that sort of thing. Um, You know, once you get the ball rolling on that, you know, you got to keep track of it. And it's fantastic that you're doing that. Um, I'm impressed, you know, and people should be. Um, But that's, you know, most people don't. And so, yeah, I mean, some people, some organizations, a lot of them really need, maybe they need that, that 
you know, forcefulness that of that push to, to do this. Well, and then what you have is as soon as you start posting a job range, everybody who's in that job right now says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, why am, you know, I've been here seven years and you're bringing people in at the same rate that I'm making right now. Uh, you know, well, but where, where, always, where should I fall in that range? Yeah. And we've always had these salary right. compression issues. I mean, that's right. always been an issue, but now we all know what, you know, what these numbers are. And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, that's a separate problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's a problem for another day's podcast because we're yeah. out of time, but Hey, Steve, thank you again for joining me this, 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 this week. It was, uh, it's always good. I don't, we don't, I don't get to see as much cause you're in Austin, but, uh, next time I'm down there, uh, if, uh, if there's not some protest that shut all the bars down, then, uh, we'll get together and have another beer. Absolutely. And thanks so much for having me back and really enjoyed it. Give my best to Megan. Will do. Thanks. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.